Hello, and welcome to the Bite Size Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Shiroki, and today we are going to finally finish up our look at the Sermon on the Mount. We have been going through um, basically Matthew chapter 5 all the way through to the end of Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus gives his one of his greatest teachings. And I would say, and many would say, this is the greatest sermon ever preached for good reason, given that Jesus is Lord and he is God himself, so in the flesh. And um, he just touches on every area of life, you know, he, he just really instructs us on how to live and how to deal with really everything we're going to face here on this earth. He also addresses how we should live and what we should value in this life, what we should dedicate our time to, our thoughts, deeds, and actions to. He, um, in this particular passage, he kind of, again, perfectly summarizes everything that he teaches in the Sermon on the Mount by giving us this instruction to, in my um, Spirit for Love New King James Version Bible, it is subtitled, this particular section, we're looking again, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29 to close this out, and it is subtitled, Build on the Rock, and he basically, again, just perfectly kind of um, puts a capstone on all of his teaching that he goes through, again, in the beginning from Matthew 5 all the way up through the end of chapter 7. And, um, you know, this particular verse, he definitely, um, again, just gives us very clear, concise instruction. Um, Everything he says in the entire Bible is, can, and should be interpreted and taken literally there is no allegory in the bible (laughs) there's no happy ending to most stories in the bible for good reason because they are a true reflection of life and lives lived by people both past present and that will be lived in the future and um you know, uh, you know, a lot of you know critics will say that um, you know they'll mock, they'll say the Bible is a fairy tale, they'll say the Bible, you know, is um, to, to be the nicest, unproven. But the fact of the matter is, the more people dig into the earth archaeologically, you know, the more geology it has performed, the more um, science that's studied and found. That is observable science, not this theoretical garbage, but true observable science. More and more, the biblical account of history, creation, past, present, and future are definitely confirmed. But, you know, we have a blind world that we live in. We have a rebellious world that we live in, a dark world system that wants to reject and deny the holy God and embrace the enemy, our adversary, the ruler of darkness, and be in the rebellious state that unfortunately we're all born into. So, 
We are going to again finish up our look today at the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus wisely instructs us to build on the rock. We're going to look mainly in the Gospels and and just wrap this up, you know, um, again, just looking, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. I look back, it's been over a month we've been doing this. It has been a tremendous blessing to me. I am very happy that I can share this with you. I'm very blessed and honored to be able to do this podcast, this Bible study, this series. And, um, you know, where it goes from here, I don't know. This is also going to conclude um, season two, but I'm excited already for season three. I have some ideas. And um, without any further ado, let's conclude our look at the Sermon on the Mount by looking at Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29, where Jesus instructs and commands us to build on the rock. Alrighty, and like I said, we are going to start in Matthew chapter 7. We are going to look at verses 24 to 29 which concludes and finishes up chapter 7 of Matthew. And um, we will look at Jesus' teaching here and then just jump around a little bit in the Gospels, like I said, to some different references to what he says. So, starting at Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus speaking says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine, and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So let's quickly look at the note here for again, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29, where it says, Therefore, the parable of the wise and the foolish builders both serves as a conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount and illustrates the absolute necessity of doing the will of God. That is, what God has told us to do. I'll stop there quickly and just say, this is something that we try to, and um, I believe it's satanic influence, we overcomplicate the will of God for each and every one of our lives. So I love the end of the note here where it wisely and correctly says, the will of God is simply doing what God has told us to do. And we know that by getting into his word, reading, getting to know the character of God, getting to dive into what God accepts, what he rejects, what he likes what he dislikes, what pleases him, what displeases him. We can start all the way back at the Ten Commandments. Well, we can really, when I think about it, you can start at the fall in the garden in Genesis. We can see that God hates rebellion. 
He hates disobedience to what he commands us to do and a direct consequence of our own disobedience to God was that initial fall and now the curse that we all live under and are born under because we chose to do not God's will, but our will. And that is a natural type of thing. That is, uh, well, that's what God wanted and intended. That's why he gives us what's called our free will, because God wants us to exercise that free will in a fashion and make choices in which we choose to serve him. We choose to love him because that is a true relationship. Of course, God could have made just robotic people that just, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, no, Lord, you know, and just had these um, almost, again, like robotic types of, um, you know, beings walking around. Um, if anything, we could call them angels in a sense, you know, and I don't even believe uh, angels do have a free will because, um you know, Lucifer unwisely, along with a third of the angels, did fall and were uh, kicked out of heaven. But um, I believe a majority of the angels do not rebel against God and choose to serve him and love him because they see exactly who God is. They are not in time and space. They are in the realm of the Lord. And they are in the kingdom of God, and they are appreciative of what God, who God is. They love him, and they want to serve him. They choose to serve him. Again, God, you know, he's not a narcissistic, evil <laughs> uh, dictator, if you will. He is a loving, good, good father. So it's pretty incredible when you think about that, but a lot of the um, created beings, you know, that God has made in his likeness and image, if you will, um, they all, we all have a free will. And when it comes down to it, we can choose to do whatever it is we want to do with our life. If you choose to rebel against God and pursue other things, you know, God eventually will let you go and do those things and be let you be given over to those things. You will reap what you sow. You, we will suffer the consequences of bad choices. And we will also um, get to enjoy the benefits of making good choices. Um, again, it's a the godly economy is very straightforward. When you really read the Bible, it's very easy to understand the the principle of reaping and sowing. You reap what you sow. So if you sow good seeds, you'll reap good. If you sow bad seeds, you'll reap bad. Um, and if you choose your own ways, you will bear bad fruit. But if you choose the ways of God, and you stick with the Lord and serve the Lord, then you will bear good fruit. These are all things that Jesus covers in the Sermon on the Mount. And these are all also just throughout the Bible, examples given over and over of different choices people make to either serve the Lord or not serve the Lord. And then we see the outcome of those decisions. Again, God is a loving God. He gives us good reason to love him, to accept him, 
to want to serve him on our own without having to force anyone or anything to do it because he is amazing. He loves us. He loves us so much. He sent his only son to die in our place for our sins. How incredible is that? I mean, when you really wrap your mind around that and when you really experience salvation through Jesus Christ, I mean, look, we all have our struggles in life. I have mine. Everybody has theirs. But at the end of the day, you know, we can, you know, truly look at the big picture of life and see that God is truly the only one worth serving. So, and every principle he lays out, both in the Sermon on the Mount, as well as throughout the Bible, every characteristic we get to know of him, it is good. It is, it is of high character, if you will. God is the the most he's the most high for a reason and he is he is the ancient of days he is always been and always will be i mean i just i i really i'm kind of just very excited thinking about this right now and just really the way the lord is just laying this on me and it's just incredible and god is our good father so again when it comes to doing the will of god it is simply doing what God tells us to do and not doing what God tells us not to do. Um, so the notes here for Matthew chapter seven, verses 28 and 29 say, Jesus speak, excuse me, Jesus spoke in his own name and on his own authority, quite unlike the usable teachers. So again, that's addressing those last two verses where it says, and so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for they taught, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. We're going to look at some verses and we're going to see exactly what that means. But basically, when it comes down to it, Jesus was the source. He was, you know, he, he is the, the word of God, which is why he spoke so firmly so directly and with such authority because he was the one he is if we if we see the lord then we see the father and we see the goodness of jesus throughout the bible throughout the new testament and you know um he's just he is the ultimate teacher he's the ultimate um you know savior he's the he's everything you could want in life Okay, and now we are actually going to jump up. We are going to jump up to Luke chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 46 to 49. Throughout the entire study of the Sermon on the Mount, we've been kind of bouncing back and forth between Matthew and Luke um, for good reason, too. I mean, you have Matthew's account of Jesus's teachings, and then you have Luke's account of Jesus's teachings. Um, Matthew was a tax collector. He was very um, detail-oriented. He was an employee of Rome. He was um, very 
just he was a very good record keeper, if you will. Again, a tax collector, you know, those types of people. He was basically like an accountant, essentially. And then you, we have Luke here, who was a doctor, Dr. Luke, we can call him, and, and you know, as an AKA, if you will. But um, again, a doctor also known for being very, you know, detail oriented, very meticulous, very um, focused, very, um, you know, obviously both. Doctors and accountants are very esteemed positions throughout society, um, and they are both people that would really take very good um, notes and detailed accounts of what was going on around them. And we have, again, just um, the different teachings of Jesus's. One, again, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, just totally laying out the entire thing. And then we have Luke, where he gives his account and his perspective, you know, basically two different perspectives, very highly educated perspectives on the same teachings from our Lord. And, um, you know, it, it's cool to see the different dynamics. Again, they're it's like a car accident. Again, going back to that example where, you know, if you have a car accident, you ask two people who saw the accident, what happened, although it's the same event, you're going to get two different stories because you're going to get each person's account as they saw it. So again, they may both describe the same event, but you're going to have different details and different things that are accounted or not accounted for in each um, particular, uh, you know, uh, story or, you know, a re retelling of, of that event. So, um, in this particular, um, verse, again, we're looking at, uh, Luke chapter six, verses 46 to 49, my spirit filled life, new King James version Bible, again, subtitles it build on the rock. And, um, we'll see that, you know, Luke just goes into some more detail. I actually like Luke's account a little better than Matthew's because he just has a certain way of saying it. So um, let's just look at, again, Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49. Uh, again, Jesus speaking says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat, beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently. And immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So you can see the different types of detail that Luke describes and goes into, as opposed to Matthew's account, both telling the same, you know, had the basic same idea behind them. But as you can see, I like the way Luke says, you know, he goes into detail where Jesus says, when a man is building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it. Then the person who built on the earth is like a man whose house on the earth without a foundation. So as you can see, there's, there's some, uh, a little bit of a deeper teaching there and a bit of a nugget that you may kind of not, 
recognize right away at first glance. But one thing you can look at and see is the fact that um, the the person who builds their house on the rock, they really go into and they put some extra work and time into constructing that house. And the person who does not, they take sort of almost a lazy approach to building the house and they just build right on the earth, you know, not having any foresight or any care for what could happen or could come. It's a very um, interesting way of looking at the person who decides that Jesus is Lord and takes up their cross, becomes a living sacrifice and decides to serve God with their life and do God's will because it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of um, preparation. And the reason we do it is because we see what is to come. But the person who ignores God, ignores the will of God for their life, goes off and does their own thing, is like that lazy person mentioned in verse 49 of Luke chapter 6, that basically just says, you know, they just build their house right on the surface, right on the earth, not thinking about any potential disaster or hazard to come. And, um, you know, they kind of take a lazy approach. And that reminds me of the people that just want to deny the Lord, reject God and his true ways, and just kind of live life by, you know, the seat of their pants, you know, and, um, you know, not really have any foresight to really see the um, things that are to come also in their life. Um, interesting that there's also, there's two, um, you know, two accounts there also of two different types of people, but the things to come, they kind of can branch out, but then they will come to a head eventually as well, because once we all, you know, meet our, um, meet our maker, if you will, at the end of our lives, or at, you know, different periods in time, we'll say, um, you know, again, the wise person who built their house on the rock has the foresight, whereas the unwise person who just built their house on the earth took a lazy approach and sort of just um, had no understanding or wisdom of things that are to come and the potential disaster ahead. And take note how in both accounts in, again, Luke 49, Jesus chapter 6, ends and says, and the ruin of that house was great. And then in Matthew, in his account as well, at the end of the uh, verse 27, Jesus also emphasizes, and great was its fall. So I believe the house's fall, if you will, is eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. That's what Jesus is warning against. He's basically saying, you know, that ha that he's he's comparing a life of a person to a house and sort of how he did when he said he's going to build mansions. Um, you know, I, I'm going to look more into that in season three, but I'm interested to really dig into that at a point. But I love the way Jesus, you know, he has such an awesome way of just, you know, explaining things through analogy, through real life accounts and through everything in between. But um Again, the ruin of that house that is great is the fact that they ignore people who choose to be unwise, build their lives on sand or or not build with a solid 
foundation, not put any work, not put, and this is talking spiritual, obviously people can work their work, their work, their uh, hands to the bone, you know, they can do, do, do all day long, but this is spiritual truth that, you know, we yield to the will of God. We open ourselves to his ways. We go through those tests, trials, and tribulations and understand that they're just they're just refining us, knocking that dross off of us and um, purifying our hearts so that we can eventually become the image that God created us to be of himself, which is Jesus. It's amazing, you know, the um, ways in which God really shapes us and his true intention for us. Um Again, we're talking about a character. We're talking about qualities. We're talking about, you know, what Jesus mentions, humility, love, you know, um, uh, charity, uh, wise stewardship of what God blesses us with, um, and ultimately fulfilling the will of God regardless and being obedient even unto death. So let's quickly look. Um, you know what? We are actually going to look next at, um, well, before we jump, let me say this too. Um, this analogy that Jesus gives. So he talks about, um, let's read verses again, Luke chapter six, verses 48 and 49 real fast. Um, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it for it was founded on the rock. So if you've ever seen the actual, um, uh, I guess, uh, there's footage everywhere these days. You can go online. You can. I, one good example is the tsunami that hit Japan years back. Um, you know, there's plenty of footage of that. But the idea that Jesus is pushing here and explaining and what it can give you a real appreciation is just how strong these storms can be, you know, I mean, <laughs> I, in my field, in my particular career, I deal a lot with natural disasters and things like that. And it's amazing how strong water can be when it's cumul accumulated, you know, per square foot, there's some kind of ridiculous statistic for how many hundreds of pounds of pressure it is, but it can easily knock a house down and storms can knock them down. But Again, when you build wisely on the rock, when Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, when he's the one you rely on, when he's the constant in your life, then it is he who will always be there and will hold you up in those storms and, and support you and keep you upright, like he says, because again, we build our house on the rock of salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the rock that Jesus is referring to. So we are going to flip up next to the book of John. We're going to be in chapter 14, and we are going to look at verses 19 through 21. And this again, we're just going to look, um, Jesus says, you know, where he says, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. So Jesus was constantly, you know, 
he he always explained it his commandments his teachings but he as much as he would teach he would also emphasize the importance of doing and and actually um following through within our own lives and living out the things that he commanded us and you know um heeding the lessons that he was teaching us so that we could, um, again, live out his commandments and obey and yield our lives to him. So um, I just thought, again, this is a, a just in reference to that idea. And I just like what, you know, the Lord says here. This again is Jesus speaking in John chapter 14, verses 19 through 21, where he says, a little while longer, and the world will see me no more. And you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him. And manifest myself to him. So let's look at the note here for that. Um, loving, loving Jesus Christ finds its most comprehensive expression in obeying Jesus's commandments, which are also the Father's commandments. A Christianity satisfied with less may be convenient, but is too cheap to be biblical. So again, you have a lot of people walking around these days calling themselves Christians, a lot of false teachers, prophets, preachers, preaching different gospels, pre, you know, saying you can forget about this book of the Bible or that book of the Bible, forget about this teaching, forget about that teaching, you know, telling people that sin is okay, but they're liars. They're, they embrace false teachings they are wolves in sheep's clothing, and they are not obeying the Lord's commandments, and they are certainly not keeping them. And it's great here. I love how Jesus says, and he, us, who loves me, Jesus, will be loved by my Father, that is God the Father. And I, Jesus, will love him, us, and manifest myself to him. So, you know, again, the Lord is just confirming that he is going to show himself to us as we walk through life and obey his commandments and fulfill his will for our lives. Because if there's one thing he has always shown anybody that puts their faith in him is he never leaves us and never forsakes us. He is always there. He is our constant. No matter what happens in life, Jesus will always be there. It's up to us to call on his name, to welcome him into all of the circumstances in our life. But once we do that, you got to humble yourself, yield yourself to him, and then he will manifest himself. That word manifest there is Emphenadizo, a combination of N, in, and phanio, to cause to shine, thus to appear, come to view, reveal, exhibit, make visible, present oneself to the sight of another, be conspicuous. 
in verse 21, emphasizo is the self-revelation of Jesus to believers. A secondary meaning of the word is to declare, make known. So again, Jesus is promised there to manifest himself to us that are, that is us who acknowledge that he's Lord and Savior, repent of our sin, ask him to come into our lives and be the Lord of our life and keeps his commandments. He will constantly present himself to us. He will make himself visible in our lives. He will reveal himself to us. And, you know, that's one thing. People can argue the Bible all day. They can argue science. They can argue all kinds of stuff, all kinds of secondary issues. But one thing people can never argue is the personal witness and testimony of what Jesus Christ has done in each and every one of our own lives. And we all have that witness. That's why we're called to witness. I was having a good conversation with somebody yesterday. We were talking about this, and it's true. I mean, one of the reasons why Jesus gave the Great Commission to go preach the gospel and to we're commanded to, again, witness, we are witnessing what we are you know, it's like we're in a like a witness in a in a courtroom. We we literally present to people that are open and that God leads us to. We witness and tell them what Jesus has done in our life because there's something very intimate and special about that type of testimony that people really understand and relate to. Again, People can argue all day about religion. They can argue all day about science. They can argue all day about the Bible. But again, there's no arguing what Jesus Christ does in each and every one of our lives, his personal, intimate work in our lives. And if you are a child of God, then he is doing that all the time. And it's an amazing thing. We're extremely blessed and it's a very humbling experience to be us, mostly these days, Gentiles, to be living in this age of the church where we are able to have free access to God. It's, it, it's really incredible, you know, um, really, really incredible. So um, we're going to look at the kingdom dynamic section here for, again, John chapter 14, verse 21. Um, these are just sections again in my spirit filled life, new King James version Bible, where they just basically take teachings, different portions of scripture and kind of just expand on them a little bit and give some further clarification and some more, um, more applicable, maybe life, um, examples or just, um, just easier understanding. So it says here, it's called loving God's word as Jesus's follower. Jesus completely aligned his life and will with the Father's, which indicates his total allegiance to the Father's word and commandments. He also said he disapproved of any attitude that would reduce respect for or teach less than full obedience to the entirety of God's revealed word. See Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. Thus, in this text, when he explicitly links his disciples' love for him as Savior with their will to keep his commandments, 
we conclude Jesus's clear intent. If we love him, we will love his father's word also. In John chapter 5, verse 39, our Lord declares that the knowledge of the scriptures is the pathway to knowing him well. And I'll throw in there knowing his will. Further, upon his resurrection, he unveiled the fullness of his own person as revealed in the Old Testament. See Luke chapter 24, verse 27. These texts cluster to teach us to follow Christ, to know him, and to grow in insight as people walking with the resurrected Lord. A basic and continuing requirement is a steadfast commitment to hearing, heeding, and studying the Bible. So it's just perfectly laid out there again we will they will know us by the fact of the character change for example that is seen in us you know i mean there's always the example and and the true reality of the fact of you know people you know you're one way one day and you're another way another day and people say you know they notice a difference and they ask you what it is that's your opportunity tell them what it is and gladly share again your testimony god's witness he will give you the words he will tell you exactly you know what to say and when to say it and how to say it so have faith in the unseen take that step out and um Definitely don't ever be scared to share your witness and testimony of what the Lord is doing and has done in your life because it's powerful. It's very powerful. If there's one thing Satan doesn't want you to do is share that testimony. And, you know, um, listening to some old sermons from my pastor this past week, he made some good points about um, if there's one thing that you know, Satan will try to do to the believer. If he already knows the fact that we're saved and we've put our faith in Jesus Christ, that's one thing. He really can't do anything about that. But his next best approach and way of, uh, I guess, um, silencing us or affecting us is keeping us from doing the will of God and sharing what God has done in our life. So, you know, it takes a lot of faith, but with time and with um, prayer and getting into the word of God, um, it's definitely an attainable thing to do the will of God and then testify and live out the word of God as well. Alrighty, and um, like I said, we are going to now look at some examples addressing Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, where again it says, And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So there are many examples throughout the New Testament and um, where basically, you know, they it's again, they just recount this astonishment, this this authority that Jesus had, because as we're going to see in the next few verses, he definitely taught them in a different way than anyone else had ever taught them. And again, for good reason, he was the living word of God. So 
while the scribes and Pharisees would basically just kind of repeat, you know, old stories over and over and regurgitate old teachings over and over. Jesus came with a new fresh wine. You know, he came with a new spirit of himself. He came with a, um, I guess you could say the living water. So when people heard that, they were very attracted to it. They gathered, they were, um, you know, they were very excited to hear his teachings. Not always. And as we can see later on, I mean, people eventually got so tired of hearing Jesus that they just eventually called for his death over that of a criminal's. But let's look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 54. And start our look at some of these different accounts of the astonishment that the people had with Jesus and his teachings when he was here. Again, Matthew chapter 13, verse 54. When he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? So as you can see there, they were basically taken back, you know, they wait, like it was his home turf, you know, and um, they just, again, they knew his background as a human being, but they did not realize that he was the Messiah that they were all waiting and looking for. Because again, they were expecting a military uh, leader to come and overthrow Rome and to basically set up his kingdom right then and there on the earth. But what they failed to realize and see throughout the scriptures was, as Jesus did, first he was going to come as the lamb of the people, as the sacrificial lamb, and then he was going to be the lion of Judah upon his second return and be that military leader, that military force, if you will, where he will establish his kingdom at his second coming. But his initial, again, his initial role was to be the Lamb of God, not, a, not the Lion of Judah. Same entity, same person, yet he had two different roles. And again, Jesus is obeying the will of the Father. So while the Jews, again, they were looking at Jesus, he had many different signs and wonders that he was working. He was fulfilling definitely all of the scripture and prophecy predicted about the Messiah, but their misunderstanding and what they missed was the fact that they were looking again for Jesus's second coming, his his role, if you will, that he will play as the Lion of Judah when he returns to finally say, that's enough. Satan, you're done. This world system is done. Man is done rebelling against God. He's going to give them what they want, and then he's going to set up his kingdom. After he judges the nations, he will then separate the sheep from the goats, and then set up his kingdom with his flock, with his sheep, his people. And, you know, then we go into the millennial reign and we go from there. But exciting stuff on the horizon. But at the same time, 
again, they missed the fact that Jesus, upon his initial visitation of the earth, was to be the Lamb of God who was to be slain for the sins of the world, to shed his blood so that we, so that anyone who wants to know the Lord and be a child of God can come into his family and become part of this flock. So let's flip up now. We're going to look and we're continue this look at the astonishment of the people at Jesus and his teachings. We're going to look at Mark chapter 6, verse 2, where it says, And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? So looking at the note here for again, Mark chapter 6, verse 2, it says, The people were perplexed because they knew about the background of Jesus, whereas the coming of the Messiah was supposed to be shrouded in mystery. So again, they just totally missed the, um, I guess, the reality that Jesus was the Messiah that they were looking for. Again, to put it in context, I mean, at the time, you have a very interesting time. Jesus chose to come and visit the earth. You have Jerusalem, you have the Jews in their land gathered, you know, where they initially had been blessed and given to live. But they had also Roman occupation because Rome was, you know, the ruler of the entire world at that time. They had a huge empire and kingdom. And um, again, they were not happy living under the rule of Rome. And they were thinking and assuming that Jesus was going to come and be that, um, again, they were that he was going to overthrow Rome and he was going to take his place right there as the ruler of the earth. But that was not God's plan. And um, unfortunately for them, they missed out the fact of the you know times they were living in and the fact that their messiah was right there and again they would eventually go from you know uh praising jesus and loving him and you know listening to his teachings to eventually declaring that he's a blasphemer and requesting that he be killed over a criminal so um it's amazing how the uh, culture then had changed, but if you really look and think about it, you know, at the time, knowing people and knowing how things are, I'm sure there were people that did know and see that Jesus was who they were looking for outside of the disciples. But, you know, we're talking about um, a very close-knit society, group of people and, you know, we're talking about a lot of influence here. We're talking about a lot of societal influence. Um, we're talking a lot of peer pressure. We're talking about a lot of, um, you know, Jesus was very controversial at the time when he was alive. Again, could you imagine, you know, you're looking for this savior, you're looking for this Messiah. This guy shows up doing all the signs and wonders that the, the Messiah was supposed to, yet not completely fulfilling 
the entire role. Um, again, it's sort of like a two-part series, if you will. Jesus being, again, the Lamb of God at his first showing up on the earth. And then he will be the Lion of Judah upon his second return, his second coming. And in hindsight, you know, we obviously have the benefit of looking back. We have the Bible. We have everything that we can see fleshed out in full context here. But and they didn't have that at the time either. So, you know, they were probably there was I'm sure plenty of people very confused by exactly who Jesus was, what his intent was. And, you know, um, eventually people just said, you know, we have no idea who he is, but uh, he's not the guy we're looking for. So um, get rid of him is basically how they treated him. And, um, you know, it was even after Jesus died and resurrected and ascended to heaven, um, you know, when Paul went out to preach to and the apostles went out and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Jews, they rejected the gospel. That's when the, the gospel was opened up to the Gentiles and it was revealed to the apostles and to Paul that this was the age of the Gentiles, the age of the church, which we are currently in now from the day of Pentecost all the way up through the second coming of Jesus Christ. We are in the last days and the age of the church. I am extremely happy to be part of this time period. It's incredible. I don't know if we'll see the second coming. All the pieces are in place, but, uh, you know, I don't see what more has to happen. I mean, the last thing that really has to happen is the persecution of the church and removal of the church. And then, um, you know, that's when it really start all the, you know, dominoes start to fall, if you will. But um, I do believe it's very imminent. And, um, you know, just having that type of reality and that type of understanding should cause you to live a certain way. And I know it definitely is caused me to live a certain way and to sober up and to be very sharp and to be very in the word of God, hence this Bible study and podcast. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's a definite, uh, like the um, parable of the wise virgins, you know, keep that lamp uh, lit and keep that oil in the lamp because you just never know the day or the hour and we need to be ready at all times. So do not slumber. Do not be so foolish as to say my master delays his uh, return because the master knows his timing and the time of his return. So he's never late. He's always on his time. So let's finish up this look here at, again, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. We're going to look at a couple more verses here. We're going to be in Luke Chapter 4, verse 32 next, where again, we're just looking at the people's astonishment with the teaching of Jesus's and the miracles he was performing when he was here on the earth. All right, again, Luke chapter 4, verse 32, where it says, And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. So let's look at the note here for that. It says, unlike other teachers who monotonously quoted former rabbis, Jesus taught with authority, a consciousness of his calling backed by divine display and approval. 
So again, the people were torn. They just had no idea what to make of Jesus, no idea what to really, um, you know, I could only imagine, you know, being alive and being caught up in that um, very interesting period of time. Um, Again, these are people, the Jewish people that were, you know, the chosen people and still are to this day, the chosen people of God. But, you know, they had been through a lot. They had been through, you know, um, a lot of uh, ups and downs as a people, you could say, with God, with um, with life, with different um, kings, rulers, um, just many incredible experiences throughout the Old Testament. You can see all of them. But um, again, it's interesting to see the uh, the actual reality of kind of what they were dealing with and they just again they were astonished and they had no real context in which to put Jesus I guess um again they were just so uh befuddled if you will by who he was and what he was doing because I can understand in a sense their confusion because if you're able to do all the miracles that you're able to do, then why aren't you going through with the overthrow of any authority and setting up your kingdom right then and there? But again, the thing that was missed was God's plan for redeeming the world and that's where Jesus was again to be the sacrifice, the atonement for the sins of the world. And it's an amazing plan God had, and it's an amazing plan that to this day is unfolding. But again, lacking that understanding and lacking that, um, I guess, uh, true comprehension of what God, again, I mean, there's, there's verses in the Old Testament that definitely describe what Jesus was to go through as the Lamb of God being the sacrifice for the world. But again, I mean, sometimes it's human nature to sort of focus on certain elements of teachings, certain parts of your beliefs and kind of ignore other parts, but that's why it's absolutely vital and important to take in the entire whole word of God, to accept the entire whole character of God, and to live out as a living sacrifice the things that God approves and to avoid what he disapproves of. So we're going to finish up. We're going to be in Mark chapter one. We're going to look at verse 22, where it says, and they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And the note here for again, Mark chapter one, verse 22 says, Jesus taught independently without appealing to previous authorities whereas the scribes only repeated what others had said. Both the substance and the manner of the Lord's teaching differed from that of the official interpreters of the law. So 
ending on that note, and I just think about, you know, you have to realize, again, Jesus not only taught the scriptures and taught, you know, as the, you know, law and the scribes and the Pharisees taught, but he also had authority. He said um, that God was his father, you know, he said that he is the son of God. He, you know, not a, he is the son of God, that God is his father. So that was the blasphemy that just infuriated the, the Pharisees and the scribes. And, you know, they, again, they could teach only what they heard, but Jesus raised the bar. He took commandments, you know, like, for example, with, um, you know, loving your brothers and sisters, you know, as you love yourself, you know, um, you know, to even look on a woman and to lust for her in your heart is the same as committing the very sin. So basically, and not even just taking that specific sin, but just taking it and saying, even if you do this within your heart, then you are guilty of doing it already, regardless of what it is. So he really just raised the bar and took everything to the next level. And the reason he did that and could do that was because he knew he was going to bless us with his Holy Spirit that enables us to live out those things that he commands us to live out. So that's going to conclude our look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. It's also going to conclude our look at the Sermon on the Mount. It's also going to conclude season two. It's been quite a season. I think we got almost up to 75 episodes of this season, which was very humbling and a real blessing to be able to do that. Um, and I just, you know, I thank God for giving me the opportunity to really just uh, share some of my life experience to participate and just share a few thoughts here and there of mine on his teaching and his word. And I would encourage you again, specifically grab a study Bible, get into the word of God every day. I know I do. I look forward to taking a minor little small break. I need a rest. You know, God commands us to take a rest. I feel like this is a good time to do that just for a brief moment to get into some of my own Bible study and some things God's been just, you know, pointing me towards. And I look forward to that. So, um, I'd highly encourage you get into the word every day, pray always, you know, always, always just have the Lord at the forefront of your mind. Keep your mind on spiritual things. Don't let the, you know, the, um, pitfalls and the, depression of this world drag you down. Um, don't let people drag you down. You know, don't let toxic people, toxic relationships drag you down. If you, you know, the Lord's guiding you and convicting you of things and maybe telling you to maybe do certain things or not do certain things, make sure you listen to the Lord and I'd highly encourage you, you know, ask the Lord, pray for discernment, Put on the whole armor of God, engage in that spiritual battle, that spiritual warfare as much as you have to. It is well worth it. It is <laughs> victory is attainable through 
Jesus Christ alone. We can do nothing on our own. Every time we try, we fail. We all know that. But when we totally rely on the Lord and keep his commandments, as he says, as we build our house on the rock, the gospel of Jesus Christ, no storm, no matter how hard that rain, that wind, that stream beats on the house, can take it down because you build your house wisely on the rock. So God bless and have a great day.